Well, hello, family. Am I on? Can you guys hear me all right? Jeremy, am I on? Oh, there we go. There, I'm really there now. I mean, I was there, and now I'm really there, right? Are you guys ready for the good news? Amen, me too. Oh, come, let us adore him. You know the best thing that you could possibly do right now is to adore Jesus. And I just pray that you, whatever you're thinking about, you just tune in for a few minutes. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Luke 1, verse 46. Today we're going to look at the most famous of the Christmas hymns in the Gospel of Luke, um, Mary's Magnificat. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is Mary's song. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thorn thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your servant Mary. Um, we, for in her humility, in her faith, in her song, you have given us all an example to follow in worshiping you for your gracious salvation. We ask, God, that you would tune our hearts to your heart. May your word pour in, change what we love, give us hope, give us joy wherever we may be right now. Give us your lasting joy. It's in the sacred name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the things that makes uh, Christmas so exciting, of course, is the anticipation of, of good things that are to come. There's this whole month-long build-up, you know, to Christmas Day, and we're all waiting. For a whole month, we see you know, little lights twinkling in the dark, you know, in the night as we're driving home. Some of us make an extra long drive home because of that to look at those lights. We walk by fir, tree, uh, fir trees that are in our living room and they're all adorned with uh, beautiful, shiny, and nostalgic ornaments remind us of years gone by, Christmas memories. We constantly hear songs in our home and, and playing in our car that they just tune our thoughts towards that coming day of Christmas. 
And so for days and days, these gifts, they sit under a tree wrapped in opaque paper, or maybe they're in these shapeless bags, and they just almost invite our mind to imagine what kind of goodness are they hiding? What are they concealing? You know, I mean, it's especially true if you remember back when we were kids. You remember, don't you, when you were a kid? Our minds would just wander to those mysterious, wrapped-up gifts, and our imagination just would just take over. It could be this. What could it be? But something happens when we get older, doesn't it? We temper our imaginations, don't we? Can the church say amen? Yeah. After a few Christmases of imagining in vivid detail the latest video game console or a hunting bow, and instead we receive brand new socks or a can of flavored popcorn, we train our heart not to get our hopes up even when we see a gift. We train ourselves not to imagine. I mean, become excited, but not exuberant. Right? I mean, expect a good gift, but don't expect something that's amazing. And as we get older, we train ourselves not to use our imaginations. And why? Because we can imagine some pretty amazing stuff, right? And who wants to be disappointed? Who needs that? You know what, guys? We can also approach the gift of Christ's birth in the same way. Just like that. Celebrate his salvation, but at an appropriate volume and with an appropriate amount of excitement and appreciation, whatever that means. You know, don't go crazy. Don't get your hopes up. It's just Jesus being born. Don't we do this every year? But when we hear the very first line of Mary's hymn, she throws all of that conventional wisdom right out the window. And she goes like way over the top. She goes way over the top if you really listen to what she said. Let's go back, verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary rejoices at the news that, at the news that she will give birth to the Savior of the world. She says that she's, she's saying that she rejoices from the very deepest part of her being and with all of her being. That's what soul and spirit means. That's what she's pairing those things together. It's not like sometimes, it's not like she's like magnifying with like her soul, but not her spirit, and she's rejoicing with her spirit, not her soul. This is parallelism. She's saying, with all that I have within me, I'm, I am rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. That's what the word in Latin means. That's where we get magnificat. It's the first word in this song, actually. She magnifies the Lord. This is not the same level of rejoicing upon hearing other forms of good news like we would. Like, you know, you heard that you're pregnant. 
or that your friend is pregnant, or when you finally are debt-free and you, you know, shout out, I'm debt-free, or, you know, that excitement about a loved one you didn't expect to see to come, they finally came home for Christmas, though, and they're like, they're at your door, you're like, yes. This is in another category of rejoicing is what I'm getting at, and she's letting us know this is, this kind of rejoicing needs to go in another category. Her rejoicing is at an intensity level and from a depth within her that exceeds everything else. It's mega rejoicing. In fact, fact, that's actually the root word in Greek for that word magnify. Mega luno. Mega. A lot. Big. And it just, what what caught me this year as I was reading through this is that level of rejoicing and intensity, it just seems disproportionate to the news that she heard. Christ hasn't been born yet. She's not even pregnant yet. There's nothing real about it yet. Do you get this? She's just heard news. She's just heard news. And that's her response? That ought to make you ask some questions, right? If you're paying attention. I mean, that should make all of us ask this question. What does Mary know that we don't know about the coming of Jesus? Because we need Mary to teach us something here. Or, or, or how about this? What does she see in God's salvation that we need her song to help us see? You see, guys, that's the power of songs. And that's why we sing in conjunction with the preaching of the word. That's why we need songs. Songs turn our ears into eyes. They help us imagine the good news that we are hearing. Do you know that? And here's the good news of Mary's song for, song for you and, and for me. She's telling us this, rejoice without guardrails. Rejoice without guardrails. Because you cannot overimagine the gift of salvation. Rejoice without guardrails because you cannot overimagine the gift of salvation. You won't be disappointed. So, so go on ahead. Imagine. And the text gives us two reasons that we can confidently rejoice without guardrails, without fear of us being disappointed. Well, fear of us putting our whole being into this. The first reason is this. Christ's salvation is far more comprehensive than we have imagined. Okay, Christ's salvation is far more comprehensive than we have imagined. Look with me in the text, verse 51 through 53. Mary says, He, that's God, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. Scattered the proud. Here's the the definition of the proud. In the thoughts of their hearts. Did you know your heart can think? See, we like to divide those things up. Your heart can think. Bible says it all the time. That's what we live out of our heart, the core of our being. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted, he's brought, the, brought the mighty down, and he's exalted the humble estate. He has filled 
the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. How do you picture Jesus saving you? I don't mean how do you picture salvation? I mean how do you picture how do you picture God saving you? Like the effect it would have in your life. Being saved. Quote unquote. I mean, do you even get a picture in your mind? Is that something that's, that like the, the way you conceive of salvation? Is that something that you could even conceive as a picture? Or is it more just like a propositional truth statement you read out of a book? Something you just, I agree with that. See, I'm asking this question to get us to imagine, to think. Some of us think of the gift of salvation as being purely an individual thing. God forgives my sins and brings me into a personal relationship with him. And that's pretty much it. But in this view of the gospel, God pretty much leaves everything else in the world alone. Certainly the forgiveness of sin is an amazing gift to be sure. And Mary acknowledges that early in her song. She calls God her Savior. Well, I ask, is that all that Christ does? Is that all he does? Like, is his good news a one-trick pony? Is it that limited? Look closer again at the language and the images that Mary uses to describe the very salvation that her son is bringing into the world and see her picture of God's salvation, how her picture of God's salvation compares with maybe our view of his salvation. She says that Jesus comes to scatter the proud. I'm just going to take a couple of those phrases that I've highlighted. He's going to come scatter the proud. And those are the people that do not believe that they need God. That's all proud is. It's not a way that you present yourself publicly. It's the thoughts of your heart. It doesn't matter. It's not so much about the way you act and strut around and arrogant and all that. No. It's, it's what you think of yourself and God. They believe they don't need God. They believe at the end of the day, when all is said and done, um, they're their own God. They make the final decisions and everything that goes on in this life. You know, they're the captain of their own destiny. That's all that it means. You can be really sweet and proud. Jesus come to bring an end to all of that, to that kind of living in the world that he created. This is his world he created. We just get to live here. It's his world. We live in it. Right? It says that Jesus brings down the powerful from their thrones. He's come to bring down the powerful from his thrones. Do you believe that? That's the gospel she's proclaiming. That's the good news. She's saying that the, the, the way, and, and Luke ultimately is saying that the way that the world currently operates is how? Might makes it all right. Might makes it all right. Sorry if you're weak. That's on you. Just get tough. Get tougher. 
And that's how the world operates, right? That's how the world works. We see that a lot right now. The weak are dominated by the strong ones. It's those in places of spiritual, political, and social power that are winning at life. And if you aren't winning this way, then you're not winning at life. Your life's not worth winning or or, or celebrating or keeping or preserving. Mary is announcing something. She's announcing prophetically that those days are coming to an end with the birth of her son. This takes being a proud mom to like a whole nother level, okay? Guys, she is putting the current powers that be on notice with this song. This little unwed pregnant girl from a nowhere town of nowhere importance sings jubilantly and frankly quite boldly about God lifting up the weak in society, people just like her. She says Jesus is going to fill the hungry with good things. And back in Mary's day, only the rich did not know hunger. It was the wealthy and the socially connected and networked. They were the ones that were filled, and it was all the poor that were hungry. And there were a lot of them. Mary and Joseph are kind of in that category. But she's saying Jesus has come to reverse all that. He's going to flip it. He's going to flip that. Those that are hungry will be filled. Not might, not could, will. Those that are hungry will be filled. And those that claim that they have all that they need right now, they have all that they need in themselves, and they don't need God or anything else, they're going to be sent away hungry. And they're going to be really surprised when that happens. Here's the question. Is is, is she speaking about being filled with the spiritual food of Jesus? You know, like his teachings? Or is she speaking about the literal food that Jesus is going to make, like bread and fish? Which is it? She isn't specific, is she? She kind of leaves that open-ended. I know, I checked. Three times. Well, is she referring to the what's going to be taken down? Is she is she referring to spiritual powers on thrones? Is she referring to spiritual powers like death, sin, the demonic powers that are actually uh, at work in this world? Is that what she's talking about? Or is Mary making reference to social and political human powers? on literal thrones and literal offices, you know, like actual oppressors, like Roman occupiers, abusers, tax collectors, predatory priests, and false prophets, you know, that were around during that time when, where she's situated singing this song. She isn't specific. Uh, couldn't Mary have been a little more specific if she really wanted to be? Yep, she could have. So why speak so all-inclusively about this great gospel of Christ? 
I'm not sure, but I think that it's to help us see just how comprehensive God's gift of salvation really is across all cultures and in all time and in all situations. It's that big of a gift salvation is. Guys, the salvation of Christ is nothing less than the complete reversal of social, cosmic, and the spiritual order of things as we currently know it. This is not a little small religious thing she's talking about that's done off in a corner somewhere. It's that huge. We tend to have a very small, cramped, and quite manageable view of the gift of salvation. But Mary's hymn tells us this is an all-inclusive, comprehensive, as far as the cursed is found, salvation that is coming. You can't get your arms around it. You better get your head around it. That's how big it is. That's how wonderful and glorious it is, Crossway. You guys missed a chance to say amen right there. I just got to be honest with you. You missed that. I like how the New Testament scholar James Edwards explains what Mary is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, quote, Feminist and liberation theologies tend to read the magnificent largely in economic, political, and social terms, whereas traditional, that is, conservative theology, often spiritualizes it. The language and imagery of the Magnificent comes from Israel's religious, social, political, and ethnic life, and thus includes both the physical and the spiritual. Perhaps most significantly of all, the Almighty restructures cosmic reality through the Unmighty. Close quote. He's going to do all this through a little baby. Wow. See, guys, are you tracking with me? Is salvation, a, is, a, is it a personal, individual thing, or is it a cosmic thing? To put it another way, are we saved from the merely the penalty of sin? That's judgment, death, hell, right? Or are we saved from the power of sin? How it destroys the world and all the relationships that we're, we're enmeshed in. The scriptures answer the question is yes. Okay? Emphatically, yes. It's not both. It's all the above. And more you haven't thought about. It's all the above. The gift of salvation is nothing short of the restructuring of the entire order of existence in every aspect of existence. Do you guys know who Jesus is? Hey, do you know who Jesus is? He's amazing. He's not meek and mild. Little baby meek and mild, that's not Jesus. See, that's, what's, that's what he's going to do. He's the restructuring of the whole, this whole thing. Which, by the way, is exactly why it takes God to do it. 
last will be first. The first will be last. Isn't Mary saying a whole lot of stuff that her son's going to say later? I wonder if she taught her son anything. Where do you hear that? Probably in his house. That's how it's going to be, guys. Why? Because Jesus is coming to history. Jesus is coming to history. Not into your heart, purely, but into history, as well as your heart. Amen? In time, in space, as well as in your heart. Thank God. Jesus is not a metaphor. It's as good as done, she says. Oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now you know why she's singing the way she's singing. She knows something we don't know. We need to know. So Mary invites you and me to sing this song with her. She wants you to sing this song with her. Imagine with her and see what she sees in her baby that's not even conceived in her belly yet. Jesus has come to put both us and the world to rights forever and ever, world without end. That's wonderful. Listen, guys, here's the bottom line. You cannot over-imagine the gift of salvation that Christ brings. He's daring you to try. You can't do it. Think on these things. Think on these things, right? So, so what? So let yourself imagine just how comprehensive it will be. And rejoice with all your might. We can also rejoice without guardrails because Christ's salvation is far more inclusive than we have ever imagined. It's, it's not only more comprehensive, meaning like cover more things, it's more inclusive than we have imagined. Listen, if Jesus has come to set the entire world to rights forever, in other words, to exact justice on those that arrogantly believe they are the rulers of their life and they are the rulers of this world and they run stuff around here, whether here is this big or this big or this big, then the question is, how do we get in on that, right? How do we get in on that? Or, or to, to put it the other way around, what prevents us from being of those that are sent away hungry from the Lord as well. What do we lean on and trust in? Like, really? See, the truth is that we have all lived in pride against the Lord. Amen? Have we not? We've all reasoned. We've all used reason. We've reasoned in our hearts, the thoughts of our hearts, the deepest place within us that we don't want to talk about in small group. That we know what we need best right now. Not God. And we've actually lived our life that way. Periodically or consistently, it doesn't really matter. We've lived our life that way. Rich and poor alike. Jew and Gentile alike, male and female alike. Mary is here standing in a long, long line of prophets who had talked about the birth of the Messiah and how Israel was to prepare themselves for his coming. God kept saying, you need to be ready and prepare yourself when I come or you're not going to receive me. You think I'm going to just walk into the stage of history and you're going to be like, oh, that's you, I got it. No, it doesn't work that way. Some of us walk into church every Sunday just not ready. Just not ready. 
I'm just going to get it when I walk in. Right? Impress me. No. She's sitting in a long line of people who say, get ready, prepare your heart, prepare your heart, prepare him room. Right? Didn't we just sing that? Heaven and nature sings. Malachi 4, 1 and 2. Here's one of the prophets. Last prophet. For behold, this is God talking through his prophet, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, so that's who he's talking about, all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, like what I have on my face. Stubble. It's short and rough. The The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. Not the world ablaze. Who? The people. It's the people he's talking about. Says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. But for you, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You ever seen a calf leap out of the stall? You know, it's kind of awkward and kind of fun and cute looking. They just have me, I don't care what they look like. He said, that's what's going to be like for those of you that fear my name. Carefree. Malachi wrote this about Israel. He wrote this about believers of God. Not non-believers, so-called believers. The reason that Mary and all the other Israelites are under Roman occupation while she's singing this song, the reason they're under Roman occupation was because they had forsaken God. And she knows it. They persistently took the name of the Lord in vain. And God doesn't put up with that forever. And how they take the name of the Lord in vain? They claim to be his people and denied him with their lifestyle and more importantly, denied him with their heart. Their heart. The thoughts of their heart. They were part of the arrogant and prideful. And so God is disciplining them like he said he would. Guys, listen, this is how it brings it home to us. It's really easy. At least I, at least I find it so in, in my heart right now. It is really easy to point to like systems. It's really easy to point to like particular communities out there. You know, big government, and big tech, and big pharma, and big business, and, and say, get them, God. Get them. Right? But just because someone else deserves God's judgment, that does not mean that somehow you deserve God's blessing. That just doesn't logically follow. So how do we get salvation instead of judgment? If we're part of these people, as so-called God's people, how do we get salvation instead of judgment? How do we get to sing along with Mary those words, he's done great things for me? And no, it's not just wishful thinking. Here's how. You ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? All right. Verse 48-49. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That word's better translated slave. That's what she's calling herself. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
Boy, she doesn't look blessed right now. It sounds like, like some beatitudes might be coming after this from Jesus. But here's why. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me. And holy is his name. Mary boldly and unashamedly identifies herself as a big nobody. I'm just a nobody. In other words, Mary declares she is needy. She is not self-sufficient. That's what she's proclaiming out loud in a song for everyone to hear. She confesses this aloud in a song, and there is not that. Listen, there, she's saying there is nothing about her, not her gender, not her social class, not her ethnicity, not her poverty or wealth, not her virtuousness, not her obedience to God's law, nothing. There's absolutely nothing about her that makes her deserve to be on the receiving end of the blessing of being a, a part of God's restructuring of the world. That's what she's confessing. That's what she's saying. It's only because God has, de has decided to mercifully give her this gift of Jesus that she gets this gift of Jesus. And then she says something that's even more to, uh, staggering to me. She says this in verse 50. Let's look carefully again at that. And his mercy is for who? For those who fear him, just in this generation, from generation to generation, she says. This is a pretty all-inclusive gospel. Here, Listen, listen, I'm going to slow this in way down in slow motion so we don't miss this. This is the only requirement for receiving God's mercy. You must revere him as God. That's it. you got to say God's God, and I'm not. That's it. That's really easy, isn't it? And, and hard. Right? Do you need God's salvation? Listen, just, and here's the thing. Sometimes, I, I don't know, I find myself this like, well, I've got God's salvation, so I don't need any more. Like, how screwball is that logic? Do you understand what I'm saying? I've got it, so I don't need it? No, it, if you've got it, it's because you need it, you still need it. This is an ongoing question, brothers and sisters. Do you need God's salvation or is it just nice? Do you need it? Have you come to the conclusion that this Christmas, this Christmas, that you cannot save yourself and that only God can? Well, that's all you need. That's all you need. Your nothingness. And we have a real hard time admitting that, don't we? You need to have the humility to own your own lowest state for as much as you may have and as smart as you may be. You got nothing without God. Hey, you got nothing without God. And you got to own that. Without God, that's a hopeless situation. Mary says his mercy, get this guys, is for everyone from generation 
to generation. God's mercy is for the Jew and the Gentile. It is for the rich and for the poor. It is for the near to God and the far, far, far away. It's for the religious people that go to church every week. And it's for the irreligious people that hate church. It's for the really good moral people. And his mercy is for the immoral people. Guys, see, we use those kind of markers to determine whether people are in or out of a particular community. You're part of this community or you're not. We use those kind of markers, do we not? But not God. Not God. We can't take those things and pour them into the Scriptures. We've got to look at what's in the Scripture and pull that out. That's where we get the meaning. Here is the only marker. Here's the only classification. We can call yourself a believer until you're blue in the face or not a believer until you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter what you call you. It matters what God calls you. Right? Here's the only classification that God uses. Are you proud in the thoughts of your heart or are you humble? Are you humble-hearted? Are you humble in heart? That's it. And you strip it all down, you boil all the fat off it, are you humble in heart or are you kind of proud in heart? In other words, do you revere God as your Savior or not? I mean, is he your Savior or is he like your life coach? I mean, he's good, but not necessary. That's it. That means something. That means that the gospel is the most inclusive Good news that the world could ever hear. Because to be a part of any other uh, community, you've got to believe a whole lot more than that and act a whole lot. You understand what I'm saying? It is an exclusive community, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive community that anyone could ever be a part of. You get that? The only thing that keeps you from receiving and actually experiencing God's grace is you. Your unwillingness to admit that you need him every single day of your life, all the live long day. His mercy is for, is for those that fear him. That means, that just not, it doesn't mean afraid of him. It's like, wow, you're holy. Like, I revere you. For generation to generation to generation to generation, this goes on down, right? If you can boldly sing that you have nothing that impresses God. Can you do that? Can you boldly sing that you have nothing that impresses God? If you can boldly confess with your own mouth, That you're not strong enough, you're not resourced enough, you're not educated enough to save yourself, to make this all right, that's going wrong. That you can receive God's gift of grace. Day after day after day after day. It's a never-ending fountain of his grace. It's not a one and done. Christianity sets the lowest bar of inclusion, brothers and sisters, but it is the bar that every proud person stumbles and falls over, religious or irreligious. However, if you can step over that bar of neediness, of that poverty of spirit, if you could admit that you are not, in fact, self-sufficient, you will receive mercy no matter who you are or what you've done you will be able to rejoice exceedingly. You will be able to say, he has done great things for me. And not to have to sing that with your fingers crossed. My soul magnifies the Lord.
You pray with me? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Who are you? You are absolutely breathtaking to me. And so much more magnificent than when I first believed. Lord, forgive us for being impressed by other things that other people say. Let us be captivated by who you are in your words, your gift of mercy and salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would bring joy to every heart here. And humility is the doorway to joy. That's not what the world teaches us, but it's what you say. I pray that um, for every one of us that is, is high and proud in our hearts, you'd bring us low now so that you won't bring us low later. And everyone that's here that feels so low, would you lift them up and exalt them in spirit? In the sacred name of Jesus, I ask it, amen.